Hey, everybody. It's Richard Harrison, Scott Lease with our next episode of the Serpent Sales Podcast. In fact, it might be our last one for 2021. So we are super excited. I think we might have one more, but I'm not sure. Um, quick shout out to our sponsors of Vidyard Reprise, Reggie.ai, and of course, Outreach, who has supplied us with this guest today. And Brooke, I didn't even ask you how to say your last name. So I'm just going to go oh, ahead and butcher right. it. Uh, <laughs> it is Brooke. Bachetta, who Bachesta, <laughs> all right, uh, who is the KDR enablement manager at Outreach. Uh, I think the first question is, what is a KDR manager? Oh, sure. And it's uh, XDR. And uh, we've confused many people. Oh. On this. So I oversee. Hey, I'm just it. sucking it up big time today. Scott, you might have to take over after all. <laughs> don't sweat it. Uh, so, yeah, we made up the term XDR. So don't worry about it at all. Uh, there's two sides of the business here at Outreach uh, when it comes to development reps. We've got our outbound folks that we call them SDR, sales development reps, and they're like your standard making cold call setting meetings for account executives team. And then we also have a team of market development reps who are scooping up all the inbounds, the people who call 1-800-OUTREACH or email sales at Outreach or fill out demos in a certain size company. Those folks deal with that. And so in order to address all of them, we just put an X and said, I'm talking to all of y'all. <laughs> how many how many inbound leads do you think you need, a company would need in order to kind of warrant having that team? Oh, um, that's a good question on the number. But to give you a sense of scale, we have about 110 people across the team, including leaders and reps. There are 94 outbound or 75, excuse me, outbound sales development reps, and we have four inbound reps. Their quotas, uh, and again, this is just, I don't have the exact number, but should give you an idea of how much they source. The outbound reps have to find nine or 12. It depends on what segment they're in. Uh, outbound source leads every single month. Uh, and the inbound reps, I believe their quota is 60 a month. So it's like rapid fire. 60 times. So you guys are getting that many, which it doesn't surprise me that you're getting a ton of inbounds, your outreach, right? You guys have done an amazing job. It's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, the demand gen uh, squad knows what they're doing. Um, yeah, there's a lot of interest. I, I, outreach found a lot of success early days uh, in the SMB and micro segment of like high growth startups. And so there is a lot of demand uh, from those companies all over. So, so I'm going to ask this question of Scott. Scott, if you can get that much inbound, at what point do you trim down your outbound team and throw all that money back at demand gen to make it inbound? <laughs> Depends what my goals are. I have no <laughs> desire to take a company public like Manny does. <laughs> I would keep my team super small and just live on my 10 inbounds per day, which is uh, more than enough to, to run a multi-million dollar business if you got a good product. So. <laughs> That's great. When did you guys split that? Like, like, when did you guys create the inbound? Like, do you remember like how um, big you were? And why? Maybe you could also talk about why. <laughs> sure. So it was before my time, actually. So I've been at Outreach for about three and a half years. And before I had joined, there was always an MDR team. Um, let's see. When and, and that I, I joined and we had 250 employees. And now we have a little north of a thousand. Um and yeah, I'd have to ask Steve Ross or uh, Kelly Justice, who leads our demand gen, uh, when the, it was a, a, quote, good time to add the inbound folks, because uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, 
do you know why? Can you speak at all to like, why do we even have to have some of our SDRs focused on inbound instead, oh, sure. of, instead of SDRs focusing on inbound and outbound? Yeah, yeah. So the S, it's a little bit uh, confusing, but the SDR team, like they're mostly outbounding, but we work on a named account basis, uh, meaning I have my, you know, my swim lanes that I'm prospecting in. Um, so if somebody raises their hand in one of your named accounts, you would get that inbound lead because you own the account. So they do get some extra stuff on top of just their outbound prospecting within their book of business. But we've also segmented. So we've got a couple different um, sizes of companies that we focus our efforts on. And the inbound team is almost entirely focused on the size of accounts that are um, we know are probably just going to come inbound and raise their hand because they need, you know, can't afford too small of a company to hire a bunch of salespeople. So they need software to expedite what they're doing. Uh, and the MDRs work though. So we call that our micro segment. And right now it's uh, 35 employees or less. Uh, and an outbound SDR would not be incentivized or comped if they called into those accounts because we want them to find like the whales and the big accounts. And But if anybody comes inbound from those smaller accounts, we have an inbound team scoop them up. How do you, so you guys have a ridiculous number of people, which is great. I mean, ridiculous in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> um, how big is your team supporting them? And are you part of a larger enablement function, you know, as enablement becomes the, you know, like the hot topic right now, right behind yeah. algorithm and um, everything else? So. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the enablement team as of now is 17 people uh, that roll up to our senior director, Whitney Seek, who's phenomenal. Um, but when it comes to a partner for the XDR team, I'm a team of one. So it's uh, just me, myself and I with the XDRs. And then the other folks on my team are working with ProServe or solutions consultants or the account executives or the growth team and so on and so forth. Yeah. How... So you went from sales, right? You've been in sales and then moved into this type of a role. What attracted you? What did what made you kind of go, oh, I want to go into this type of role versus quote unquote carrying the bag? Sure. Uh, so I think my entry into sales is not that unusual and that it was an accident. I didn't know uh, what sales really was or uh, about a career inside sales. And I fell into it right out of school and loved it. Um and so that has usually been my approach to uh, building a career is like, I'll just find projects that I enjoy doing. And if I like doing it, I'll, I'll probably put the time in to get good at it. And other opportunities hopefully will pop up where I'll, I'll notice things that uh, I find interesting. So as an SDR manager, I loved the people development aspect. Uh, like that was, is, and was my favorite part of like getting to work with somebody who's new in the role, seeing them improve and then helping them get promoted all while driving the business. And then working in SDR land, it's like a perfect marriage of operations and people management because things are moving so quickly and changing all the time. Um, so while I was doing that, I, uh, since outreach, we drink our own champagne, I <laughs> was putting on workshops for other SDR managers in the industry who just wanted to know how does outreach use outreach. And I had done that uh, it was 12, it was all through the pandemic. We had one live session in the pandemic hit in 2020 and it became remote, but I was doing these workshops and having a blast uh, getting to talk to other SDR managers. And when our enablement function was starting uh, to grow, like when Whitney had joined the team, we're like, hey, we should probably have somebody for the XDR squad. And Steve, my boss at the time, knew how much I loved the facilitation and building a program. Uh, and he was kind enough to put me up for the job and say, hey, I think you'd be really good at it. Uh, so that is how this all came about. <laughs>
Is there, is there a tactic that has worked in 2021 that you expect to not work in 2022? Sorry, say that again. You cut out for the beginning. What, what tactics would you say worked in 2021 that are not going to work in 2022? Like how, how are people? Yeah. Um, let's see. I think people are getting fatigued with like all of the remote options that are available. Like there was a huge, everybody in 2020 was scrambling. How do I turn all my live events into virtual? And I think that there, there's a lot that came out of it um, and we're getting better at it, but we'll have to find ways to get creative with like hybrid environments because lots of the parts of the world, we're all on differing schedules of like who's in the office and who's not, depending on who's locked down or who's comfortable or all the things. Um, so I think full remote, it's not really going to work because even now we just had an offsite offsite in the office for two days and trying to um, merge hybrid environments. Like some people were dialing in from different time zones and other people were in the office. How do we make that equitable? Fully remote is probably not going to have the bang that it did this last year, next year. But what about from a like prospecting perspective or a, a messaging perspective, mm -hmm. getting in touch with people? Is there something that you think is going to have to be picked up in 2022 that was ignored in 2021 and 2020 or something in 2020 and 2021 that worked and now all of a sudden the shine is off and we're not going to be able to do that anymore um i mean there's always like the moving target of communicating with people there's always been a push for uh, like personalizing and like using a lot of templates but like the templates are, are going to get old and i think what we're finding ourselves having to grapple with is like you can't be super personalized with everybody if you're working 400 people at a time and, and like the automated stuff that used to work i'm probably not giving you a very good answer but I just, we're gonna have to get better at automate automating things that should be automated and being okay with like, you can't personalize to everybody, but actually doing personalization and not just having like the, I see on your LinkedIn that you have a pulse and are in sales and I'd like to sell you things. Cause that's very much dead. What do you think that means for personalization though? Cause I, I agree with you and I've been saying this for a while. Like there's personalization and there's personalization. Yeah. You know, yeah well what is that? How do we break through that noise? Um, well, I think that there's like a lot of technologies out there that will help you organize people already into the buckets of like, here's the personas that they are and tearing it out of like, are they above the line or below the line or like seniority level? Because those all have different talk tracks. Um, I think it's just teaching reps. And I mean, the industry has been changing for a while now. Like you can't just have SDRs reading a call script, like straight up call center, because nobody wants to hear that or be pitched to. And we've been getting better at like teaching early stage reps business acumen, which has been a top of mind thing for us a long time at Outreach. But I think it's making sure that your reps actually understand what they're saying, because now that everybody's working from home and probably- So what is, yeah, so define business acumen. What like if mean? I say driving pipeline and increasing revenue, does my rep actually know what that means or they're just like regurgitating it and like working backwards of like, okay, what does it mean if somebody misses their pipeline number? And what do you, does that mean for business? Do you, do you teach them like business acumen 101 or all the way down to like 201, 301, 401, where you're really getting serious about core metrics and things like that? I'm, I'm just curious how deep yeah. down that um, rabbit hole you're going. 
from my perspective, so somebody who onboards everybody, it's pretty like 50 to 100 level of like, let's, we call them doing value workshops of like, we take the script and we say, here's what you would say to a marketing person. We just go around. What do you think that actually means? Okay. Let's take an example and like attach some really loose back the napkin math. That like if it costs you $200 to source a lead and this person has 50 people on their team, they have to source as many leads. What's it mean if one person misses and trying to put them in their shoes. And that's always the struggle of, to my knowledge, None of my SDRs on this team have been vice presidents or CROs, and yet those are the people that they're calling and talking to all day. So trying to get them inside their head. And then as they move up in their career path, so they come out of my boot camps and they be with their frontline managers, um, especially in the upper segment, then you get into like the 300, 400 level. Like, how do you read at 10K? And what does it mean if like part of the world is shut down for COVID? What would it mean for that industry and their business yeah. and have them speak to that? But yeah. early on, it's mostly just like, what do the things mean that we are talking about? <laughs> all the all the new managers that I've talked to in the last couple of years have just really struggled to lead and coach and train because they're remote. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that have worked for you in this training and leadership, you know, role to kind of not just bring people together, but just onboard them faster, get them ramped up faster is maybe a better way to phrase it yeah i think it's a couple things of like when it comes to training we were all so used to just doing ad hoc oh i hear richard on the phone because i'm in the office next to him i'll just give him the feedback while i'm here and now i'm coaching all the time because i'm around my people obviously that's no longer an option for many of us so i i uh we talk a lot about operating rhythms internally of like, if it's not on the calendar as a reoccurring thing, you're going to miss people or it'll just fall off the way in entirely. So making sure that there's like a repeated on Tuesdays during your huddle, you're going to do a call coaching session or like in the UK, I know they're really good about having like, we do role plays on Fridays or whatever it is. So it's, it's part of your schedule and then enablement, like onboarding folks. Um, we transitioned our whole boot camp from like the old school three days in person it's all the information all at once uh, and you're in a room together that does not survive well on zoom because people get sick of staring at the camera for eight and a half hours or whatever it is. So now it's eight days and it's split up with a combo of like live sessions in the morning, then a bunch of self-paced stuff in the evening or in the afternoons. And we just had to take the approach of like, they're not going to get to know everything. And if we take the, like the awareness competency mastery approach to training people, what do they need to know about knowing that they're probably going to forget most things when they leave boot camp because you can, your brain can only hold so much. What are like the most crucial things that reps should know in their first month or two? And then when the managers and I put that list together, then it became really easy to make your boot camp curriculum. Cause it's like by day 60, you should know how to prospect an account. And are you going to write the world's best email? No, but you should know where to go find examples of them. Um, so I, have a, I have a question around that. Does that, well, I have a couple. So the first one is, is, you know, so what kind of things are self-paced, right? And do you feel like, cause this, this would be like, as an executive, I'd be like, well, gosh, if they were in the office, they were doing eight hours a day of training, which was too much anyway. Mm-hmm. So if you go into this self-paced thing, are you kind of expecting them to do maybe five or six hours because like they're sitting at home, like they, you know, they can yeah. kind of quick on the self-paced stuff. Yeah. It, it depends on the people. Like the way I had mapped it out is like, it should give you 40 hours of stuff to do during the week. And some people you're right, roll through it. And it's like, lucky you, you get to be done early on your right. Friday. And some people it takes a little bit longer, but like 
we know that there's some things that only make sense if you practice it. So like they may have a self-paced thing that talks about what does a good cold call sound like and what's the structure of the call. But then we would need to have a live session after that to practice that. Cause like right. I can't have good conscious put reps on the floor if I haven't taught them how to cold call. So what kind of things, and, and I'm asking so that others who are in this boat and they're trying to build out this hybrid model uh, or the remote training, what kind of things are you doing live and what kind of things are you doing self-taught? Yeah, so the live things are things that require practice. So like email writing, adding somebody into a sequence and actually having somebody watch you do your click path of like your, we go around the circle and people practice that. Um, calls, talking through the personas and the self-paced may be duplicative. So it oftentimes it's like, it's teeing you up for like, here's some high level information around the personas that we sell into. Read this tonight so that tomorrow when we come in, we're not starting from scratch and you'll have questions to ask. Or this thing that can like totally be automated, like tech setup, yeah. that can 100% be done like following a wizard. And then sure, there's going to be some things that fall through, but like we don't need to spend six hours walking people through how to set it up right. because I truly believe it's it's heinous. It's like telling somebody how to set up an IKEA furniture thing over the phone. I hate doing it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what I just you- had so much pain with that analogy. <laughs> That's the worst. That's so brutal. And I that, was like, never again, we're automating I, this. I task grab at that. Um, <laughs> you know, so just out of curiosity, because you've been doing it for a while, you know, I think we're all used to the old school, bring them in, cram them for a week or two, mm-hmm. throw them on the phone. Now you're sort of having to slow it down. Do you feel yeah. like it's actually better? Like tomorrow, if everybody could come back in the office. Yeah revert back or do you think you try to keep it at this different pace because I, you know you, you slowed down to speed up exactly and i i think it has worked like we look at the numbers quarter over quarter and of course this doesn't happen in a vacuum this is because the, the leadership team and i are like really in lockstep mm-hmm. but reps are booking meetings faster they're getting sales faster and the quality of their meetings are improved and i think a lot of it one part is like the information that they're getting if you tell it three days is just too much like you're, you're going to forget everything right <laughs> the other part is like the confidence building piece because SDRing is so hard yeah and we want people to feel really good about what it is that they're doing so like for phone calls we do put them on the phones during their first eight days but there's so many practice rounds like we do a intro to the script and then a role play just in like our small group of new hires, which, you know, could be between three and 20 people, depending on the month. Um, then we'll do uh, let's make practice calls through outreach, calling fake prospects. where like, you're just learning how to disposition your calls. Then we're going to call all the reps on the floor who were in your seat a month ago, and they're going to pretend to be prospects. And it's a contest and we have a whole game and like we keep score and they call reps. Then they call do do the same thing with a select group of frontline managers and then they do like the top, it's like a bracket. Um, whoever was like the best couple calls out of that call on a Zoom in front of everybody, Steve Ross, our vice president in inside sales. So it's like you're working your way up and the whole time you're getting a bunch of feedback and like positive reinforcement so that when you leave boot camp and you actually have to call someone, you're like, well, I've already talked to VPs and I've already talked to frontline managers and I've made calls probably 15 or 20 times before I'm actually. That's great. So, so here's my next qu- question. I'm going to as you built this out from the, you know, in office to the remote world, you mentioned that you kind of had to sit down and decide, well, what do they really need to know? Mm-hmm. Right. What did you decide they really needed to know? And equally, what did you decide? Yeah, this could wait till the fourth week or, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Like, cause I think people are curious of like, I want to give them it all, but they don't, we don't know what 
to get yeah. so to speak? I mean, we know because we sell software to sales and marketing people that the phone is really lucrative for us. So like we spend a lot of time on, can you make a phone call? Do you know how to click the buttons and outreach? And can you walk through the script? So that's like a large chunk of it. And same with like email writing. Things that we took out were like, I would say level two tasks that you'd have to do your job. So they understand, or like we review, how do I deal with an inbound demo request on my named account? And like we talk through the benefits and consequences of like, if you call it, this is, you know, your upside, if you fail to do it, you could lose your credit on the leads and here's the steps that you follow. Um, but I know that like, it's not going to make sense until they do it. And so there's a lot of contingencies or dependencies, I should say, of like, I'm not going to put a bunch of training on things where I'm waiting for their accounts to show up because operations is feeding, you know, however many people we hire that month. You may not get your accounts until the last day of boot camp. So I'm, I'm only going to build dummy environments where I can control for you don't have accounts yet. And this is all practice rounds. So I guess, yeah, frontline things to recap, like mission critical, you must know how to, for us, be on the phone and write an email and run through a sequence, like what it is and how do I click the buttons to get there. When you're on the floor, then the managers can help do things like, okay, you have your leads in addition to doing your cold outbound, here's how you manage your day. Or um, one-off situations where it's like, what do you do when you get an inbound lead and it's on an account with an open opportunity? We don't do a lot of that in bootcamp. Okay, so now so now they're, they're, they graduate, they're out in the wild. How do you comp these folks? How are you comping inbound SDRs versus outbound SDRs? And if you had a magic wand and could comp them and change the plan somehow, what would you do? So I've, we've tinkered with our comp plan a number of times and I uh, am quite happy with where it's at now. So I don't know the exact numbers, but everybody gets comped basically the same when you get a base salary and then your commission comes entirely from sales accepted leads. So there's no bonus or kickback for a closed deal that you sourced. None. Say, say that part one more time. Yes. Okay. We simple is best. You get your base and your commission from sales accepted leads, nothing else. So like we don't pay people extra to over index on their KPIs. We call that a base salary ask. We don't pay people on closed deals because if you're in the enterprise, you would have been promoted three times before the deal you sourced closed <laughs> as an SDR. Uh, and it, it, it's just like, you can't draw a clean line between those things. So we know you that- you agree with that, Richard? Not comping SDRs on closed deals? Uh, I'm mixed on it. I can see at this scale where that matters. I think early on, if I've got an early stage team and I've got, you know, five, 10 or 15 SDRs, um, and I'm trying to teach them some career progression or getting more education and I don't have like a whole enablement function behind me. Um, I could see that piece, but I, I understand at that scale point, cause she's right. You know, how long do they get to hold on to that? If that deal takes 18 months, right. Um, but they won't even be in the role for 18 months. Probably That's the point. That's what I mean. Yeah. Right? So I get it. So I, I see the value in it, I think situationally, but I understand why you can't do it. Um, I don't know if there's, you know, some level of, you know, if the company hits a goal, everybody gets a little something anyway, you know, maybe it be tied into that. I like the idea of, I do like the idea of SDRs getting comped on a deal closing somehow. So they stay engaged with the AE as an educational process. But again, at this scale, you don't need that. Like the education process is there. And if the comp is right and fair in the market, then that's probably what needs to matter more than the closing of it. So 
What do you think? Yeah. Wait, wait, I want to hear Scott's opinion because sometimes we agree and disagree on stuff. Well, I'm massively in favor of simpler the better. So just like what Brooke said, I would probably not comp them on closed deals because I didn't want to deal with it. I wouldn't want to deal with the administrative hassle and, fair and, point. and the organizational yeah. complexity of it all, frankly. Yeah, and like our philosophy is that like, what do you truly have control over? Like within your sphere of influence, realistically, an SDR, like you could get lucky and somebody just raises their hand and then they buy tomorrow. Like, was that really because of you? You could make a case, but like, not really. Um, and when it comes to like sourcing meetings, the uh, our sale criteria, and I think this is why it works, is because it was created not just by the head of SDRs, but it was SDR and the AE leadership all had to agree on like, what are the check boxes? And there is a fair amount of subjectivity in there, which is intentional. So like you have your checklist of like your scope and like, are they technically qualified like on the right CRM or all those things. But then it also has to say the AE says, yes, there is a deal here, not a tire kicker. And yes, uh, I'm willing to work it and of keeping it open. And then if that's true, then they can check the box and say yes or no. And because there are so many eyes on it, because the SDR managers get comped the same base salary plus commission on sales, everyone's looking at it. So if things go awry or someone's trying to game the system, it gets caught very, very quickly. Okay, so now they're in the wild, they're getting paid on, on sales. How long do you think somebody needs to be in this SDR role before they're ready to move to an AE role or move to an SDR leadership role? Um, obviously it depends on performance and all this other stuff like yes we all know we all know we all know all the other stuff matters as well but like what's long enough i would say like for the business a year would is like ideal and sure we move people sooner than that uh but like a year to a year and a half is probably like the comfiest for the company because then it's like okay i know i got a top performer who knows what they're doing and we can create job expansion opportunities for them would you allow a team lead, like even before they become a team lead, they be, you'd think they need to be there a year? Oh, I think so. Um, and in fact, our team, I think we have 20 SDR leaders now. Everyone except for four has been promoted internally. And that's usually been their path. That's great. About a year. That's, that's really cool. Um, yeah. So how long, what are the things you're looking at when you decide it's not the right fit? So you've released them into the wild. And unfortunately, sometimes things just don't click. Right. Yeah. Can you tell within 90 days? Can you tell within six months? Um, Is it performance based alone? The performance plays a huge part in it. I mean, right. We hold the line pretty tight on you have to be hitting your quota. Um, but there's a lot of folks who like, you know, right person, wrong seat on the bus. We're like, they're a great outreacher and they're demonstrating all the behaviors of like, they're doing the things we ask and then some they're making an effort to change or seeking out feedback. But a lot, oftentimes it's like the stress of quota because so many of our hires are fresh out of school and very new in their professional career. They thought they like sales, but they're like, I cannot do this. Like, this is not good for my mental health, which is okay. Right. And in those situations, we've been able to move people around, but I think. Um, so that, that's what I was getting at too is, so you'll try to find another place for them, right? Cause you've invested all this time into them. Totally. Right you've invested 60 days. So rather than just, you know, throw them out the door, you at least try to hug them and keep them in as best you can. Yeah. And I think, I hope this is something that we maintain as we continue to grow, but the executive team at outreach is pretty tight knit in that 
they all talk to each other. And so they'll know like, hey, is there a role on support open or like on the CS side of the house? And because they're talking to each other all the time and the SCR team is pretty well respected in that it's like, hey, we, we like people coming from the SCR org because they know how to deal with stress and like hit deadlines and they know the platform. Um, that has opened up a lot of opportunities. So I hope we continue that. That's great. Well, I got I got one more question and then we're starting to run a little bit low on time. Maybe Richard has one, but I want to know about the unseen and unspoken challenges of working for a pre-IPO megacore like <laughs> outreach. What is, what, is, what is so challenging and difficult there from the inside that outsiders wouldn't know? Because I think a lot of people look at that company and say, oh, this Brooks sells for outreach. How hard? It's so hard. They're doing, you know, you have a big brand, like everybody knows you. The product is amazing. Like seems super fucking easy from the outside. Right. So I know that that's not the case. So talk about some of the, the challenges. You know, I've never worked at a company that was this close to IPO uh, before. So I'm curious. Um, I think from a rep level, selling to sales leaders is a tough gig because yes, they do have empathy for, I get it. I've had to make cold calls too. do your pitch, especially for our sellers. Uh, they know all your tricks. And so they'll routinely get called out of like, oh, that was a nice upfront contract. Or like, I see what you're doing there. And I don't like how you're running this call. So you really have to be sharp and like on your A game all the time from a company perspective. I, there's just like a lot of pressure uh, and everybody has signed up for that. And so it's long. What, days. what is that pressure? What are you feeling? Is it hitting um, the goal? Like, yeah, hitting the number. Cause we haven't, you know, I, I think we've missed once uh, and it was pandemic when a bunch of customers. Turned. I mean, everybody did. Yeah. Like that doesn't count. <laughs> um, That's like saying I lost my job in May of 2020, like yeah, you and everybody yeah. else. Right. Like, yeah. So I think the pressure is like, we know that it's ours to screw up. So it's like, we feel we, we have an incredible product and a team and executives who are super competent. And so it's on us and every, and like people are watching. So that's stressful of like, Hey, if we, if we IPO, that's not the end of the road. It's only going to get harder. And Manny's been really good about like, we should celebrate, but also we have to go back to work because now we're really in the pressure cooker. Um, our growth goals often outpace our headcount. So like we have a lot of stuff to do with a relatively lean team. So there's always like side projects that you're on. Um, it's, it's just a grind. I don't know. It's just, there's a lot that has to happen all the time very, very quickly. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to ask a couple more questions around that. Scott, I know you need to bounce because uh, some stuff's going on in the house, but um so how do you, because I'm, I'm a big mental health thing, and I know Manny, and I know Max, and I know a ton of people over there. How as an organization, culturally, do you do that? Like, how do you build in the fun? Um, and I love Manny's point, we got to get back to work. It's kind of like, you know, as a professional athlete, yes, you can lose on Sunday, but, you know, you can mourn for 30 minutes, but then you just right. got to go on to the next thing. Right. But how does, how does an organization build the, a healthy culture around that? Because there are some that are not healthy, right. It's just, you know, see it, but uh, it's just, you know, they're crazy. So how do you guys do that? What do you think? Um, well, I think a lot of it comes down to like making sure that people are uh, 
feeling welcome to have difficult conversations early on. So like if there is a meeting, like you really are encouraged to push back and say like, I don't think that's a good idea because like we should try this other thing. So that when things get hard, that's not the first point of conflict that you had with somebody. Uh, and I think that um, can mitigate a lot of like just mental stress around dealing with your coworkers. Oh, sorry, that's my dogs. Um, that's all right. That's what Scott was doing. Yeah. 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 The other parts are like, Manning and Anna, like the whole executive team is really good at taking care of people. And it's not just like making sure you're compensated well and you have great benefits, which we do have, but like being vulnerable and like prime example, Manny sent out before he had a, to do a big speech. Like I'm, I hate public speaking and it makes me so nervous that I get nauseous and like, I have to practice this a lot. So wish me luck y'all. And everyone was like, Oh, that's cool for him to say that this is hard. Or like, uh, last summer, Brandon Taylor, Michael Brown, George Floyd, all the execs were like, never in my life did I think I was gonna be talking about politics and race in the workplace, but here we are, let's give it a shot. Um, yeah. Being vulnerable from the top down and then making space to say, it's okay to take vacation, leading by example, which the execs do. Yep. Make sure that we have days off, we have unlimited vacation, which is quite nice, but we also have refresh days. So every second Friday of every month, the go-to-market team uh, shuts down and it's a mental health day. That's amazing. That's really great. I, I mean, yeah. I, I applaud outreach for doing that. And I've known Manny doing some of those things, but it was nice to hear them all in one little combined piece. And I think that's a big attraction piece. I think he also does some stuff too. Tell me if I'm wrong, that if you've got a cause, you can go donate some time to okay, do that. Totally. Right? right. Like, yeah, hey, and like our employee resource groups, there's a ton yeah. of support for that. And yeah, um, yeah just bringing your whole self to work. Cool. People- I, I got, I got two more questions. One is, and we should ask this sooner, but What's the proper SDR to manager ratio? Honey. Oh gosh. Uh, I would say if you're hitting double digits, your managers are gonna get really toasted. Um, okay. I think eight to one is comfy. Okay. And does in that eight to one, is there also a team lead? So there's a manager, a team lead who still carries a quota plus seven more, or uh, that, not how you how do you guys use that? It's not an exact science. I think right. I, in the ideal world, that's great. If we don't have the headcount for that, then we do what's called a senior rep. And that rep is like a junior team lead who still carries a quota, but they're like your right-hand person. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I would say that's cherry on top, but you can do it eight to one. So so then, <clears throat> then this is a good question. I've never heard the junior team lead and then a team lead. What's the difference? So the senior SDR is still a full quota carry. And like, there's no reduction of quota. They get a bump in their base. Um, and, you know, it's a nice title change and they get some clout in the org. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're doing things like making sure that people show up to call blitzes, holding people accountable, helping to run the contest, audits of like MQLs. And a team mm-hmm. lead ha- no longer has an individual contributor quota. Their quota is a roll-up of their teams. And they're full on like in charge of making sure that that team is successful. So they're like a mini enablement person, maybe? The senior reps? Yeah, the, the, no, the one who, the team, the team lead who's not carrying a quota anymore. Well, their quota is like a manager. Uh, right, right. Yeah. But so what are they doing? Are they enable? Are they like a Oh, I see. I see. So um, yeah. if you have both a manager and a team lead, a team lead, since they're usually promoted right off the floor, does a lot of the coaching of like day to day. Okay. Like I'm going to sit with you on your calls. I'm going to give you feedback on your emails. I'm going to audit your workflow. And the manager will work to like put systems in place. And then of course, make sure that the group roll up hits their number. And right. then usually a team lead won't be looped into like 
sticky HR situations or otherwise. Right. So basically the leveling of our manager system is team lead to manager, senior manager, director, and so on. No, this is this is great. And the reason I'm, I'm going there is because you're teaching this entrepreneurial speed, this space of like, if I'm a, this manager is running a small business, they've got mm -hmm. one or two people reporting to them. They've got to look at, you know, data and make data decisions and those kinds of things and learn totally. how to lead through other people. Um, yes, I mean, I would assume, you know, they're still leading their team. They're not stepping back, but, you know, they're learning all those skills. And I think it's really important because there's a ton of small businesses out in the world that start with eight people, right? Yep. Having, you know, I know that, you know, Manny would be a, is a big fan of it. Wants everybody there to be successful, but at some point, you know, we don't stay at outreach for 30 years in most cases, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I love that you guys have built this, not just a career path within outreach, but this career and knowledge path for business for people to learn. And I think that's, that's really cool. Um, how would you, this is my last question. Um, and then I'll turn it over to you to ask me a question. Uh, Want to uh, obviously give a, a quick thanks to all of our sponsors of Vidyard, Reprise, uh, Outreach, of course, who's here and um, Reggie.ai, who used to be at Outreach. So we just did a thing on AI. <laughs> if for these, this is for the people who are starting out, right? Like they don't have 17 enablement people. <laughs> they don't have right. that, right? If, you know, everything goes well, you IPO two years, you know, you decide to go and build, you know, your own enablement function at some other company. Someone, someone comes and decides to do that. Um, how do you build a team? Like, where do you start in your mind? Like, okay, if I'm going to be the first enablement hire somewhere, what advice are you giving to those people who are listening to this? Um, I think what often happens and in my short time in enablement, just talking to people, like you have one enablement person who is tasked with doing everything and they inevitably just end up working with the AEs because that's where the money is. Like, okay, we right. have close deals, let's train the AEs. So I would just say, come out and say it, <laughs> say we hired an account executive enablement manager because you can't do it all. Um, mm -hmm. And I would say be programmatic with it of like, okay, if, if we know that we want to focus on boot camp, say that from the get go, like we're hiring a, an onboarding enablement person. And I think that's what Whitney has done such a great job of doing is like making the roles and responsibilities extremely clear to not only the person who's doing the job, but the stakeholders so that you don't have scope creep and or disappointment when they're like, well, I had this enablement person and I don't know why she hasn't rewritten our scripts. And I'm like, that's not even in my scope of responsibilities. Um, just being very clear with like, what do you want that person to do? Because they are, we are in a way, you know, project managers. Yeah. Yep. No, I love it. And that's, that's great advice. So turning it over to you, what kind of questions would you like to ask? I'll, I'll, um, I'll, put on, I'll grow a beard and put on Scott's voice. <laughs> I'll imitate him. Um, I mean, y'all talk to SDR leaders all the time. What do you think SDR shops are missing? Like, is there something where you're like, God, I can't believe nobody has fixed this thing yet. And it's 24. Yeah, I think Well, the beautiful thing is, I think there's now enough people who've done the role that we can actually have real leaders who came from the ground up, whereas mm -hmm. before we didn't. Um, I think that executives are misunderstanding the role as a whole. Um, in the sense of let's hire the youngest, cheapest person we can and then work the shit out of them um, yep. and burn them out. Um, I think that it's far more complex. Like we didn't talk about it, but there's, you talk about it briefly in the terms of teaching them how to write an email. Like, you know, I looked at your background, you've got an English lit major, right? As your, as your thing, you know, <laughs> I, look, I came out of college and I could write a paper but I couldn't condense that into, you know, 
a 30 word email, right? So there's some copywriting skills that I think need to be yeah. taught, right? Like, I don't know if you teach it as, hey, here's what it means to be a copywriter, but that would be my thing of like teaching them what that really means to your point of not the first thing you need to teach them, but somewhere now, yeah. like, this is what copywriting is. Um, so they understand how to craft better. Um, I still think people are still doing the spray and pray. I think they're, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a function of noise now. You know, we just had Matt Millen on from Reggie, you know, who used nice. to, yeah, he was on yesterday. We did a live session on AI and where are we with them with AI and sales. Um, so I think that's a piece like that's, you know, I sort of wonder when outreach is going to do that or if you guys are going to buy Reggie. Um, to do that. <laughs> but I think those are the pieces that are missing. Uh, it's not, I think people think it's a plug and play. I think that's yeah. a big miss that no, it takes months to get this right. Yeah. Uh, right. And it is a really skilled yeah. position. It's not, yeah. uh, yeah, like, you yeah, I find it, I find it interesting that people want to say the SDRs are not doing well because they're not setting enough messaging with their emails, but marketing is not driving enough inbounds either mm -hmm. outreach excluded. Right. Like, and marketing's, you know, you know, supposed to be great at it. So um, that being said, those are all the things that are being missed. I think we're in a whole other realm now of respect for the role. I think people are getting uh, better and more knowledgeable about it and valuing it and seeing the value. I think that people are getting, um, are starting to look at it and go, okay, is it the right function at our organization for what we sell? Um, I also think that, and I'll, this is the one I'll answer for Scott, um, is that uh, the AE should still be required to do their own prospecting. Like it should be a minimum. They need to prospect. Uh, for those who can't see, Brooke is clapping her hands. <laughs> AEs ha cannot lose this skill, right? Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and to a certain extent, I think it should be part of their comp plan. You know, I wouldn't make it the majority of it. I'd make, maybe it's even a bonus. Okay, if you you know, source so many deals this year, you know, you get it. Um, and I think that's a big piece of it. So. Yeah. I love that. Cause it, it, it's so true. I and mean, a lot of times I'll hear SDRs were like, Oh, I made my last cold call. I'm getting promoted tomorrow. I'm right. like, totally. Right. <laughs> and, and I think that's okay. Like I, I do want to give them a vacation from that. Right. Cause they yeah. need to go learn the other stuff. But I think we all know that the AEs who do source their own deals will actually yeah. be some of the most successful, right? Yeah. Because then what I also see happening is those AEs will try and they'll go to their SDR if they're smart and go, all right, I'm going to try and source some deals. You know, what am I missing? Critique me, help me, right? What have I forgotten? So anyway, so right. um, that's my long spiel. That was a, that was a good question. And a long great answer. answer. So, so. <laughs> um, Brooke, thank you so much for coming. This was really great. It was really nice to meet you. I hope we get to meet that's you in real life one day. Um, you know, when, when's outreach doing their next real live event? Are you guys going to oh, try? God, I don't know. Hopefully soon. Uh, if yeah. you're ever in Seattle though, just let me know. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm in the Bay area. So same oh, thing. Great. So. <laughs> All right, Brooke. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks Richard. Have a good one. You too. Bye.